Hey guys, welcome back to That Florida Feeling. How are you guys this week? Have you had a good week? I hope so. I am kind of amazed at the question this week. I thought more people would like Halloween Horror Nights than Hallow Scream. Um, props to you though who voted for Mickey's Not So Scary. <laughs> I'm kind of with you guys on that one. Although Halloween Horror Nights always does look really fun. So thank you for interacting on the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. You guys are simply amazing. Thank you for all the likes and subscribes and follows. Don't forget to turn on your notifications. I don't want you guys to miss any new episodes. I've got some really good ones coming up soon. So the Atlantic is just doing its thing. It's hurricane season and it's super busy out there. So please stay updated and... Make sure that you're prepared, although nothing's coming close to us right now, but we have like two months left, guys. Anything could happen. I don't want you to, I don't want anybody to be, get caught unprepared. Hurricanes can be scary in their own right. So, a lot of you guys actually had mentioned state parks that you wanted me to do for a future episode, and this is that episode. So, we're actually going to talk about Florida State Parks, so part two. And again, guys, there's just so many state parks in Florida. Don't don't be surprised if there's a part three and four in the future. And again, if you have one that you want me to do on that one, email me, message me on Instagram or Twitter or comment on Facebook. I'd be happy to hear from you guys. So just a few facts to, about the state parks to remind you that Florida actually has a lot. You can visit 175 state parks in Florida. That does cover over 800,000 acres. And it provides recreation, learning, and protection of land and animals. So Florida really does keep up their state parks. And it really is a fun way to interact, to see the state, parts of the state you never thought you'd see. And to really preserve what part of the state that they can. Now the parks are usually associated with a local nonprofit to help keep them up and running. And 31 million visitors actually come to the parks annually. And of course most state parks do have a small fee to enter. And it's usually just the box with the little envelopes where you drop your monies in and then you enter um, and you put the little tag on your car. You do need exact change, although I can honestly say I have gone to a park and put nothing but change in that little envelope, but money is money. You can visit, camp, or even volunteer at any of these parks. It's usually like a friends of and the name of the state park. If you definitely want to volunteer, check into that. Of course, the full list of state parks can be found on Visit Florida or Wikipedia. And the park system is so vast that, again, there is probably something for everybody. And we're going to talk about a couple new ones this week. Uh, this week. I hadn't, there's a couple in here that I had never heard of, and I'm kind of sad because I lived near one, and I wish I had visited it. And that's actually the first park we're going to talk about. And it's actually not so much as just a park, but it's a state trail. And it's the General James A. Van Fleet State Trail. It's one of the state trails. It's also a rail trail. Uh, the trail is named after General James A. Van Fleet, who was a distinguished combat commander in both World Wars as well as the Korean War. The trail is a protected state park, and it is a twenty-nine point about 29.2 miles long, and it's an abandoned part of the Seaboard Air Rail, Airline Railroad's Miami subdivision that goes through the central Florida's Green Swamp area. Now, the Silver Meteor... Meteor? Meteor? says meter i don't i don't okay silver meter let's go with that sorry guys and this line used to go between coleman and auburndale up until 1988 and the trail goes from polk city to mabel and then it passes through lake and polk and sumner counties 
The park is open year-round from 8 to sundown, and it is actually one of the few parks that does not have an admission fee. The trail is pretty cool. It is all paved, um, so it allows you to take in the local wildlife, the flora, the fauna, as well as the railroads you're next to. Um, it is all encompassing the native Florida plants and animals, so you can definitely get a feel for how Central Florida looks. You can access the trail from four different places with parking areas along the trail. The entrances are spaced around 9.6 miles apart. They are located in Polk City, Green Pond, Bay Lake, and Mabel. And you can see Swampland, Bottomland Forest, Pinewood Flats, a former citrus grove, and Cattlelands as you enjoy this, this trail. Now, the trail runs through the headwaters that do create the green swamp, so bird watchers, this is definitely something for you to check out, as you can see many different kinds of birds that includes eagles, herons, and of course other birds of prey. People have been known to see deer, turkey, gopher tortoises, of course alligators, raccoons, and armadillos along this trail. You'll also encounter some bees, butterflies, and dragonflies um, along the trail, thanks to the abundant wildlife and uh, wetlands. So it really has something for everybody, especially if you're a bird watcher. It's probably a cool place to check out. The trail is open for walking, running, skating, hiking, horseback riding, and biking. And of course, at each of the trailhead or entrances, you will find amenities that include like picnic areas, pavilions, restrooms, and drinking fountains that allow people to fully enjoy the day on the trail. The trail also does have two wildlife management areas that do allow hunting. Uh, I think that's really kind of cool and strange at the same time. The Green Swamp and the Richelum Wildlife Area can be found on the western side of the northern half of the trail. And the trail does remain open during the hunting season. I would just like to make you guys aware of this because I would probably not be expecting that if I was just walking along and heard some gunshots. I don't know what I would, I'd probably duck and cover. But, so, if you are on this trail, there is a hunting season. Take note of that. But the trail is well taken care of, and it really does allow you to see Central Florida without all the traffic jams, the red lights, and you actually get to see nature in this little slice of paradise that is hidden among probably some of the busiest areas in Central Florida. So I'm really sad that I never got to visit that as I lived in that entire area. Maybe one day I'll actually get to go and explore it. Uh, it sounds really cool, especially the fact that it's paved. Seems a little safer. Seems like I'm not going to be clumsy and fall over a tree branch. So, you know, if you're in Central Florida, that's definitely probably one you might want to check out. The next one is actually another one I wish I had <laughs> gotten to visit. Uh, it's in the Panhandle, and it's, it's beautiful, but the Panhandle is so underrated because there are so many amazing state parks and beaches in that area, and I don't feel that people give it the just what it deserves. But the state park I'm talking about, this one is Eden Gardens State Park, and it's also a historical site. The park is located in Port Washington, which is south of Free Point and off of US 98 and County Road 395 in Santa Rosa Beach. The park does have the Wesley House as its center point on the 163 acres in the park. This Wesley House is a beautifully preserved mansion that is surrounded by verandas and white columns. The house is from the 1897s and it really shows how prosperous the area was before the longleaf pine and cypress trees were exhausted in that part of state because the Panhandle really was known as a logging area and of course they kind of decimated that but you know luckily a lot of it's growing back now but this is really from that time when logging was the main industry and you can really get an idea of just how prosperous this area of the state was. 
Now, the house was purchased in 1963 and renovated by Lois Maxson, and she created a showplace for her family heirlooms and antiques in this house, and she really did take care of it. It's a beautiful house. Of course, you can visit the house, and you can take a tour to see the impressive examples of 18th century French furniture among the many things that the house contains. And it is set among some of the most beautiful gardens in the area, as well as large old oak trees complete with the hanging moss. And it is set on Tucker Bayou, so the view is just simply amazing. The tours of the house run from 10 to 3 every hour on Thursday through Monday. You can enjoy the ornamental gardens that have heritage roses, azaleas. Of course, there's a butterfly garden and even a reflection pond for those who just want to take in the scenery and have a peace and quiet moment. Now, of course, the park does have many amenities, like most of the state parks do. That includes nature trails, picnic areas, and even a fishing dock. Canoeing and hiking... Wow, let me try that one again, guys. Canoeing and kayaking is a popular activity with a launch point actually into Tucker Bayou. And this actually allows you to venture into Choctawatchee Bay. You can enjoy this historical site as you eat under the picnic pavilions, roam the nature trails to see the abundant wildlife in the area, or even enjoy the grounds for something as like a wedding or a reunion. I think it would be a beautiful place to get married. If you guys want to just go check out the pictures on Visit Florida, they actually have an amazing uh, display of pictures. Even the Florida State Parks website is a good place to check out. And it really kind of also shows you the amenities in the area. I think this place would be a fun place to enjoy the tour and then just have a picnic and watch the bayou. Of course, the grounds are beautiful and they are well taken care of. Uh, you can visit the park year-round. There is a small fee to get in. The only thing I have to warn you about is that since this is in the panhandle, it does get cold. So there might be parts of the year where the gardens aren't quite as flourishing or beautiful as some other times in the year. You just have to keep that in mind since there are parts of Florida that do get cold, shocking, and even sometimes get ice and snow. Just remember that when you're checking out state parks to visit in the winter months. Now, of course, the next state park is in Key Largo. I've actually been to this one. Uh, this is a beautiful state park. It's the Dagny Johnson Key Largo Hammock Botanical State Park. That is a long name. <laughs> this state park is actually located at the center of Key Largo and is named for Dagny Johnson. Dagny Johnson was an environmental activist. The park is made up of land that was purchased in 1982 after the financial demise of Port... Oh gosh, I hate saying this. It's a flower, but... Borgenville? I don't, it's a flower. Whatever. It's a port. Insert the name of a flower. You guys, yeah, sorry. Um, but this port would have included over 15 hotels and 2,000 condos. And personally, I think that the state park is probably a much better choice than that building of 15 hotels and way too many condos. Because the park is actually an important habitat to the area because it's the home to the threatened Key Largo wood ray and the Key Largo cotton mouse which of course are only found in Key Largo. The park is one that does have a small entrance fee, and of course it is open year-round. It contains not only important habitats, but also one of the largest tracts of West Indian tropical hardwood hammock. So it's definitely a great place to check out the scenery as well. The park is home to a total of 84 protected animals, which not only include the wood rat and the cotton mouse, but also the American crocodile. Yes, you heard me right. The American crocodile. Protected plants also call this park home, such as the wild cotton or the mahogany mistletoe, and you can see these protected species on many of the park's trails. 
The park does contain over six miles of nature trails that allow you to see wildlife, birds, and have many opportunities for photographers to catch that perfect shot, whether it be of nature or of the... Well, I guess it's all kind of nature, but, you know, trees, animals, the sky, whatever you're looking for. I'm sure you'll find your perfect shot while exploring this park. The trails are paved, so that does allow people to use bicycles or wheelchairs to enjoy nature. The trails have signs along them for self-guided info about the park's ecosystem and wildlife. You actually can take a ranger-guided tour through certain parts of this park if you're super interested. Uh, I think that's a great asset that they have people that are willing to walk through the park and just tell people about the trees and the plants and the animals that do roam those uh, acres. Now, the park is considered historic, and it does include a mountain biking trail, which I think is kind of cool because I don't really foresee a lot of hills or mountain biking kind of area down there, but that's kind of cool that there is a mountain biking trail, so maybe something to check out. The park does have a picnic pavilion that allows for people to make a whole day at the park, and it's absolutely beautiful because it allows you to see another part of the Keys that most people don't realize is hidden away from the beautiful beaches. So the next time you're in the Keys, just make a stop at this wonderful state park to take in the scenery, see that rare species, relax among nature, or just a pit stop on your way to Key West. It's all good. So we're actually going to stay in the Keys for the next state park, um, but this park is not on land. So it's actually under the beautiful blue waters of the Keys, and that's going to be San Pedro Underwater Archaeological State Park. And this state park is actually the second Florida Underwater Archaeological State Park. The park is probably closest to Isamarada uh, Island, Florida, and it's located in about 18 feet of water. The park opened officially as a park to the public in 1989, and it is centered around San, the San Pedro. I'm probably like, what is the San Pedro? The San Pedro is a submerged shipwreck from a 1733 Spanish flotilla. You can dive and snorkel around the wreck. And the San Pedro was a 287-ton Dutch-built vessel. The ship was under the command of Rodrigo de Torres, along with 21 other ships, when they left Havana, Cuba on Friday, July 13, 1733, heading to Spain. You already know where this is going. It's Florida. It's July. It's also Friday the 13th. So, the San Pedro was loaded with 16,000 silver Mexican pesos and crates of Chinese porcelain. I have so many questions about the Chinese porcelain, but that's not part of the story. Trade really was developed back then. Um, so, the ship went through a hurricane while entering the Straits of Florida and sank along with most of the fleet. The Spanish that survived actually sent four ships back to Havana and set up a massive recovery of the treasure. Now, they were able to recover a lot of the pesos. In fact, most of the pesos. But the wreck obviously still sits on the floor. But the wrecks from the fleet do span actually 80 miles from north of Key Largo all the way down to Duck Key, with many of the galleons and treasure still in the area. So it's a great place to dive and snorkel if you're looking for um, shipwrecks. Now, the San Pedro has been preserved and opened, so you can view the 18th century anchor, there are replica cannons and, of course, ballast stones covered in coral. There's a decoration, dedication plaque to the site, as well as a mooring buoy system that allows you to, uh, what is it? They don't want to put your, you put your anchor down in the sand, of course, on top of the thing, so they allow you to anchor to this buoy system to keep your boat where it is while you explore. The wreck was officially added to the U.S. National Register of Historic Places in May of 2001. And the park is open every day from 8 to sundown. 
you obviously must have a boat or a watercraft to get to this site. Now, you can dive and snorkel at the site to take in the important his, the Im, historical importance of this wreck, as well as the marine life. Uh, the water is absolutely beautiful down there. It's crystal. It's blue. There's so many fish. And it's really cool if you're just looking for a new place to explore in the Keys. It's definitely one to check out, especially if you're into historic sites or shipwrecks. Or if you're looking for shipwrecks, check out my last episode. Sorry. Had to. <laughs> so, maybe you're not into diving. Some of us aren't. Uh, that's okay. This next park might be a little more interesting for you. And I'm talking about the Yuli Sugar Mill Ruins Historic Site, the State Park. The park is actually located in Homosassa, Florida, off of US-19. And the park sits on the ruins of a forced labor farm owned by David Le- Levy Yuli. Yuli was an enslaver and a delegate of the Florida Tutor- Territorial Legislative Council. He was then elected by the Legislative Council uh, to the U.S. Senate after Florida gained its own its statehood. And he was one of the first American of Jewish heritage to actually serve in the Senate. Yuli, of course, went on to serve in the Confederate Congress after Florida seceded from the Union before the Civil War. He was actually credited with helping develop the network of railroads to help boost the state's economy. Now, the farm in Homosassa was 5,000 acres, and it was worked by 1,000 enslaved African Americans. The farm produced sugarcane, citrus, and cotton, and a steam-driven mill actually ran from 1851 to 1864. The mill poured such things as sugar, syrup, and molasses, and of course the molasses were actually used to make rum in the area. Now the farm was largely destroyed during the Civil War, but you can still see the ruins, which include the stonework, uh, which is the foundation, the well, and a 40-foot chimney of the mill. There are iron gear still in place and a cane press, as well as other various machinery that was used on the property that you can still see. The site is on the U.S. National Register of Historic Places, and it was added in August of 1970. This is one of the few parks also that do not have a fee to enter, and it is open year-round from 8 a.m. to sundown. This is not a large park compared to the size of the farm that it used to sit on or the land, but you can visit the ruins and see restoration efforts that help preserve the history of the land, also to learn about sugar mills, which were a huge industry in Florida at the time. Now, the park does contain a pavilion and parking. Um, This is not a park for recreation, but more for history. It also shines a spotlight on Florida's complex and, albeit sometimes, dark history that the state had. So if you're a historian, you might enjoy this small but still important park. Now the next park does have a lighter tone to it, literally. That's because it's Bill Baggs Cape Florida State Park that has a lighthouse in the state park. This park is located on Key Biscayne and it takes up about a third of the island. The park was created in 1966. The Cape Florida Light is in the park and it is the oldest standing structure in Greater Miami. The park was also ranked in 2013 as the seventh best beach in the country. So you know it's really nice if it's even, if it's won it at least once. The park is named after Bill Baggs, who was the editor of the Miami News from 1957 until his death in 1969. And he worked really hard to protect the land from development and wanted to preserve the key in its natural state. So we kind of have him to thank for even there even being a state park. Now the rest of the name of Cape Florida comes from... Explorer Ponce de Leon during the first Spanish expedition in 1513. The park has a lot of interesting to look at and explore, aside from the lighthouse. There is a large marker that was put up in 2004, 
And they wanted to mark that this was actually part of the National Underground Railroad Network to Freedom Trail as hundreds of black Seminoles and many fugitive slaves escaped Florida and were sent to the Bahamas. Now, in the early 1820s, around 300 American slaves actually reached the Bahamas aboard 27 sloops and canoes. So that there is actually pretty cool, and they did put up a plaque to commemorate it. Of course, the other attraction is the Cape Florida Light, which we talked about. The lighthouse was actually constructed in 1825, and it guided ships off the Florida Reef. Lighthouse was operated by staff with many interruptions. This lighthouse has an interesting past. Until 1878, when it was reactivated by the Fowry Rocks Lighthouse, uh, which was located seven miles southeast of Cape Florida on Key Biscayne. So they had it. They used it. Then they got another lighthouse. Then they went back to using it in 1978. So about 100 years passed, and this lighthouse just stood there, and they didn't use it at all. But it was actually put back in use in 1978 by the Coast Guard to make the Florida Channel, which is the deepest natural channel in Biscayne Bay, to be able to like light up where it was and show people, again, the main use of it. And the lighthouse worked again until 1990, and it has it stood there in Bill Baggs Cape Florida State Park since the foundation of the park in 1966. And it was relit again in 1996 but this time the florida department of environmental protection took over the lighthouse and continued to run it now you can take a tour of the lighthouse and the keeper's quarters while visiting the park now of course the park has more to offer than just the lighthouse they have lots of recreational activities which which includes over a mile of sandy atlantic beachfront so you can swim and snorkel off the beach's blue beautiful blue waters and, of course, there's activities to do in the park, such as boating, canoeing, kayaking. You can actually fish from the seawall, bicycling, hiking, and, of course, watching the local wildlife or tourists, which are just as fun to watch some days. The park actually contains No Name Harbor, which is where you can view the wildlife. Uh, there are stunning sunsets over the bay, and that is actually one of the super popular attractions to that park, is just being able to watch the sunset. Now, of course, the park does offer many amenities, uh, such as the Lighthouse Cafe, a boat dock for people who want to anchor overnight in No Name Harbor, bicycle rentals to explore the one and a half miles of paved paths through the parks, numerous shaded pavilions for picnics and gatherings without being in the Florida heat, an amphitheater, and beach equipment rentals so you don't have to bring your own to enjoy this beautiful South Florida beach. They even have a canoe launch, which is super popular, a playground for the kids, and of course, this is a park that you can enjoy with your fur babies. Pets are welcome. The Lighthouse Cafe is actually a really unique touch, and it overlooks the Atlantic and offers casual meals, as well as selling merchandise, catering for events, and rental of recreational equipment in the park. The park really has kind of created so you can spend a whole day or a night, if you have a boat, to enjoy this beautiful South Florida State Park. It really does have something that you can find for everyone. And if you're a lover of wildlife, if you're a historian, if you are a recreational lover, if you're looking for a new trail, this is definitely the state park for you, and you can even bring your furry friend, which kind of really makes it a little more fun and adds to the experience. So, did you find a new state park you'd like to visit? Maybe take in nature, learn more about Florida's history, and just take in the sunshine? So, let me know if I highlighted your favorite park this time. If not, I'm glad to hit it on the next one because we know that there's 175 state parks 
and we haven't even come close to talking about them all. Unless you guys are tired of hearing about these. And if you are, just let me know. That's actually why I've been spacing them out, is so that we don't get burnt out talking about just state parks, because I'm pretty sure I could do at least 10 on the state parks easily. So, if you have found your new place to see a part of Florida, just don't forget to stay hydrated and wear your sunscreen. Uh, Especially check out and make sure that there's off spray. Those mosquitoes can be dangerous at any time of the year. But while you're in the state park, remember to watch out for wildlife. But also, hope you don't run into Florida's most infamous superhero, Florida Man. And I've chosen this Florida Man story because it just almost seems too much to be real. The story comes from November of 2019. And a 380-pound Florida man hides meth in his belly button. Yes, in his belly button. The Florida man was from Clearwater and used his excess bulk to stash a bag of meth. He was arrested after showing up at a Clearwater McDonald's with a drug-filled needle. The cops actually discovered the extra meth when the man was being booked into jail. Thank you, Clearwater, for always keeping it classy. Gotta love it. Now... Thank you guys for joining. I'm sorry this wasn't a super long episode. Life and all. But please, if you have a second, please, please, please leave a five-star review with a comment on Apple. Don't forget to, again, like, subscribe, and follow so you don't miss any of these future episodes. I promise my month of October is going to be super interesting and a little bit spooky for all you supernatural lovers. Again, don't forget to check out the question of the week on the Facebook and Instagram pages. You guys are amazing, as always, for answering those. Don't forget to tell your friends about this awesome podcast as we tour Florida, finding new and exciting things, all while avoiding Florida Man. So, stay prepared. It is still hurricane season. Wear your sunscreen. Drink lots of water. Don't feed the wildlife, guys. And as always, that's your daily dose of sunshine.